Hey, uh, I want to ask if you would to open up your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 11. Romans 11. We will be finishing this wonderful chapter today and uh, we will be looking at verses 25 through 36. And if you're a new college student with us or you're a guest that is with us for the first time or you just kind of been here the last couple or three weeks, we know that this is a time of year and we desire this to be a time of the year where we have more people come into our, uh, to, to our membership and to our, to our congregation uh, through the university. And, you know, there's a lot of you that I don't know. I don't know a lot of your names and we welcome you here and I hope you felt welcome as you have come. Uh, one of the things that I know I had thought through a, a few months ago was when we know that there's going to be a lot of new people, you know, should we do like some kind of special series or should we give them something to help, you know, connect to college life here at the church? And, and here, here's what Pastor Keith and I, we feel like the best thing we can do for you is do what we already do. And that's walk you through the Bible. And so like you come in at a kind of awkward spot, the end of one of the most difficult passages to interpret in all of the Bible, but you come in on a day that is just right uh, to hear the wonderful, glorious message of grace found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, so this is what you can expect. We walk through the Bible. And so we've been going through Romans since last September and uh, today we'll conclude this chapter. And so <clears throat> what I want to tell you is this, is, is that we already said this a few weeks ago, but this is what I would refer to theologically as this is the deep end of the pool. Okay. And so sometimes it's scary to jump in the deep end if you don't feel like you can swim well. And I, I totally understand that. Uh, but I want you to know, we're going to see Paul just worship uh, in, just a, in just a few minutes. When we get to verse 33 to 36, we're just gonna see a doxology where he proclaims the, the wonder of the Lord. I'm gonna give you two truths as we enter in that we'll repeat at the end. And it goes something like this, is that doctrines that exalt God will lead to great joy. Doctrines that lead or, or that exalt God lead to great joy. And you don't have to understand everything to praise or to worship the God who does. You don't have to understand everything to be able to celebrate the goodness of our Lord. And so as we open up this text today, I believe that this is gonna be a wonderful conclusion to this chapter and will serve to open up your hearts to Jesus Christ, okay? So let me pray for us and then we're gonna jump in. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word today. Help us to rejoice in Christ. Help us to cling to the gospel. Lord, use this truth and use the truth that we look at today and that we cling to, to help kill sin, to destroy sin that exists in the lives of those who may be in this room. Lord, I pray that you would use this to draw people to you, no matter where they are, no matter what they have been experiencing, no matter how far they feel like they have strayed away. I pray, Lord, that you would use your beautiful gospel 
to draw us all near today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, join, if you will, open up your worship guide. I need you to follow along there. Open up your worship guide and let's follow along this outline. Let's first see in in this text an unveiled mystery. An unveiled mystery. Look with me at verse 25 through 27. This is the word of God. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. And just so you know, we know there's ladies in the house, so brothers and sisters, you're welcome to this mystery too. Okay, here we go. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Okay, so the first thing that we need to see is an unveiled mystery. And if you're like me, when you hear the word mystery, you don't have a go-to or you don't think about what Paul is referring to here. When I hear the word mystery, I think about one of my favorite shows, Sherlock. That's what I think of. I love me some Sherlock. And when I, when I think about Sherlock, I, I think of there is something that is unknown. There is something that has taken place and it is my job to uncover it and try to find out the mystery, trying to find out what actually happened or took place. I want you to know that's not what Paul's talking about when he uses the term mystery. When Paul talks about the word mystery, and he does in several places, I'm going to show you one other in a few moments, but he's referring to divinely given insight. Okay. Another way to say it is this, is he's talking about something that was hidden from God's people in the past, but now is being revealed in the gospel. Okay, something that was hidden from God's people in the past, but is now being revealed in the gospel. Another example of this, if you'll hold your places there in Romans and flip over to Ephesians chapter three, we won't have time to break this down, but we will uh, certainly read it. Ephesians chapter three, verse three. Paul says, actually, that didn't make sense for me. I'll just read from verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Here it is. Verse three, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And I had a a brother and a friend who brought this up to me earlier. Paul, in in this breakdown, he says, when you read this, and so I might make the point, it's not possible to understand or grasp mysteries without us hearing it or reading it. Okay, so like he's communicating to us, but we have to listen, all right? And so here he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. He says, here it is, this mystery 
is that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And so this is an example where he says, here's the mystery. It's that God's made a way for Gentiles to be welcomed into the tree as well. Now, last week we talked about the tree. There's one tree, one family. There's one group of people who are referred to as God's uh, or who will ultimately make up God's people. That will be Jews and Gentiles grafted into one tree. And we're going to see in just a little bit through one gospel. Okay. Some of you are like, what? Uh, just, just roll with it. Just roll with it. So we see an unveiled mystery there in Ephesians 3 where he says, hey, you know, people were saying, but can Gentiles really be my brother? Can they really be welcome to the church? And he said, absolutely. Absolutely. This is God's plan that he's been revealing, but now he has made it known. Gentiles come into the family through faith. That was Ephesians 3. Okay. Here is Romans 11. And we're going to have another mystery that is revealed. And so look with me, verse uh, 25. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight. And you'll remember last week we talked about how there were Gentile believers in the church at Rome who they were arrogant. Well, how were they arrogant? They believed they were better than the Jews who were unbelievers. And so last week we talked about how the gospel doesn't allow us to be arrogant. And here, in light of their arrogance or their perceived wisdom, he says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery. And here's the mystery. That a partial hardening has come upon Israel, referring to ethnic Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, Once again, we're not going to be able to grasp everything that we see, but we are going to be able to see and understand the mystery that's revealed in the sense that he's not hiding what he's doing. The the truth is the the, uh, the mystery is that there's a partial hardening that has come upon the people of Israel that will, after all of the Gentiles come in, and that means all the people who are outside of the Jews come into the family of God. They believe, they place their faith in Jesus Christ. After the fullness of those come in, that includes me and and you, unless you're an ethnic Jew in the room, he says that after that, in this way, all of Israel will be saved when the deliverer will come from Zion and will banish ungodliness and will take away their sins. So an unveiled mystery is that, yeah, the hardened nature of the Jewish people is we already saw it the first week we were in Romans 11, but it's not a final thing. It's not a, I mean, it's not a total thing. It doesn't involve every Jew because Paul is a Jew and he's a believer. But it's also not a final thing or a complete thing because there's a partial hardening, not a complete hardening, a partial hardening, which will one day be removed. That's the, the mystery is that, that's revealed is that their hardening has purpose and one day it will be removed. Look at uh, a little bit more in detail there. Let's discuss the the phrase, all Israel. Okay, so we we see that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in until all of the Gentiles who will believe, believe. 
Verse 26 says, in this way, all of Israel will be saved. What does it mean when it says all Israel? I mean, is this a, is this a universal statement about anybody that is a Jew? Is this something that is going to happen at some event in the future that will take place? Is this something that is currently happening? There's all kinds of questions that you may have. And what I want to lead you is this, is let's first talk about all Israel, what that could, uh, what that means. And I, and I want you to know, I, I'm, don't say that I know this or understand this perfectly, but after a whole lot of studying, I will lead you the best way I can. All Israel does not have to refer to every individual Israelite. In fact, Paul has not written in that language for all of Romans. So, so far we're in double digits in the amount of times in this chapter and in this, uh, and from nine through 11 or chapters nine through 11 that Paul refers to Israel and sometimes to all Israel. And when he talks about all Israel and rebellion, I wanna just show you a simple logical explanation here. He, He can't be referring to all of them without exception because he is an Israelite who believes. So when he's talking about disobedience, he talks about all Israel, he can't be referring to every single one of them because he's a believing Jew. And here, when he's talking about all Israel, I wanna give you a, uh, a thought here. All Israel is a reoccurring expression that we find in Jewish literature and we find it in the Bible where it does not have to mean every Jew without exception, but refers to Israel as a whole. So I'll give you a couple of examples of that. You can write this down. You don't have to look there, but 1 Kings chapter 12, verse one. This is just kind of a seemingly random place where we see the same language. It says, Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now, did, all, did every single Israelite go there to make him king in that passage? Some of you are like, I don't know, I've never read it. No, they didn't. All of, all of people, every single Israelite did not go, but he refers to all Israel. It's like, man, you should have been there. Everybody was there. Everybody came to my house there night. Everybody went there. It, it's an expression that we use all the time. Man, I mean, it was all the people. Everybody was at the game. Well, not, not everybody. For all Israel in this situation in 1 Kings 12 is not referring to every single individual, but as Israel as a whole. A New Testament example, this is, uh, you'll, you'll recognize this one when you hear it. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and you remember this one, and all Jerusalem with him. That does not have to mean every single person that lived in Jerusalem. Verse five of that same chapter, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, that's John the Baptist, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now did every single individual go to see John the Baptist? No, but it was a large portion. And so what we wanna do when we, when we get here to this phrase, all Israel, I don't want to limit what it says. I don't want to speak where the Bible doesn't. I just want to lead you the best way I can and say, we, it's, it makes sense in light of what we have been looking at in the book of Romans and in line with the gospel that we proclaim 
that it's not referring to every individual Israelite, but a large group of them. In fact, maybe even we could say majority of them at a particular time to come. And so let's imagine what that could look like. Verse 26 Read it once again, verse 26 and 27. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. This is quoted from the book of Isaiah chapter 59 and Jeremiah chapter 31. Okay, it's a blend of those two. And is clearly referring to Jesus Christ. Okay, and in line with what the text is, referring to Jesus Christ and the second coming. The text says the deliverer, Jesus, will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Jacob is another way to say all of Israel. Okay, that's another way to say that. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Jesus Christ is going to come and he is going to remove their sin. How can that happen? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's, let's look at the, the second text and uh, or our second point. We see the un, an unveiled mystery. And then secondly, we want to see an exclusive savior. An exclusive savior. So when we talk about Jesus coming and saving a large group of Jews, let's go ahead and discuss some of what he has already told us in Romans 11. Romans 11 verse 23, I actually have that where you can see it on the screen. But it says this, referring to the the Jews, and even they, or the unbelieving Jews, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. And so we've had this picture of the unbelieving are broken off. Like if you don't have belief in Christ, because the unbelieving there in verse 23 is referring to not believing in Jesus. The unbelieving are cut off from the covenantal promises of God or receiving them, okay? So unbelieving equals broken off. Believing equals grafted in. Once again, unbelieving equals in this text to being broken off, believing equals being grafted in. Here's a statement. This is from John MacArthur. It says, just as surely as God has cut off unbelieving Israel from his tree. And if you're confused on the tree, just you gotta go back and read 11 through uh, 24. But just as surely as God has cut off unbelieving Israel from his tree of salvation, surely will he graft believing Israel back in a nation completely restored and completely saved. Now see, we've got this unveiled mystery that all of the unbelief and the hardening had purpose. We're gonna see in just a minute more clearly, but we've already seen it in the chapter that the disobedience of the Jews led to the faith of the Gentiles. This may or may not apply to you right now, but you may not think it does, but it does. The unbelieving Jews, because they were in disobedience, led to Gentiles 
able to place their faith in Jesus, the Gentiles' faith led to jealousy in the, with the Jews, leading to their future obedience in the gospel and their faith in Christ. I know, now we need Sherlock, don't we? Okay, now, but that's what we see and that's in this text. But how are they saved? How does he do it? I, I wanna be very clear and I know this is gonna be clear today. The only way that the Jews, the Gentiles, that anyone in all of history can be saved is through the atoning and finished work of Jesus Christ. We see an unveiled mystery, but in that mystery, as it's being revealed, we also are pointed to an exclusive savior, Jesus Christ, the, the deliverer. The deliverer will come and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant then when I take away their sins. No one can have their sins taken away outside of the cross of Christ. It's not possible. See, faith in Christ. We, uh, we see this in Romans 11, as hard as it is for us to understand and as deep as the water is, we just saw that if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. There are many reasons, and I could go into great detail, which I will not today, uh, but, but there are many reasons why over the years that, that people were able to come to grips with something that is not biblical, but is this thought that there is, in regards to Jews and Gentiles, a two-way track for salvation. That for the Jews, that there's a track that you go through the Mosaic uh, covenant. They can be saved in the Mosaic covenant. And then through the believing Jews and the Gentiles, there's a, a track that goes through faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that doesn't work biblically. In a age where people want to be able to say, I agree with your religion and I agree with mine. I want you to know that, that Paul says something completely different. Paul doesn't say there's two ways. He says there's one way. There, there's one way. There's one tree. There, there's one ultimate family. There's only one way. And it's found in the person in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To, to see a two way, uh, you know, way into the kingdom might be appealing. Uh, it, it might even be mainstream but it's not Bible. It's not biblical. And I need you to know that today. Paul teaches very clearly that salvation can be found only in one place. And that is within the community of those who believe in the atoning and finished work of Christ. The Jews will only be part if they do not continue in unbelief. That's what we see. I think you see that clearly in Romans 11 and in all of scripture. Now, I want to point you to something. I cannot confirm that, that this is a picture of what is to come, but I do want to give you a picture that I think could be that. And it's found in the book of Zechariah, uh, a place where you probably turned this morning right before you came here, uh, Zechariah 12. 
verse 10. This is an Old Testament prophecy that I think could give us insight to what Paul is referring to here in Romans 11, verse 25 and 26, or 25 through 27. <clears throat> Zechariah twelve ten. It says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that, look at this, when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Now, I, I cannot say that this certainly is what Paul is talking about, but I believe it is very possible that what we see in Romans 11 is an event that will come in the last days, and that's the most broad general term that you could break down a million ways, but at a time at the second coming when Jesus returns and all of the Gentiles who will ever believe, believed. And that Jesus comes and however this works, only God knows, but that the Jews that are left and the evidently all of Israel, at least a majority, if not every individual, will look upon him whom they have pierced and believe. Now, what that means for you and what you do with that, uh, it, th there's four or five really good interpretations of that text. And to be honest with you, I don't think that anybody can say for sure they know what it means. But what we can for sure know is that there's a partial hardening that will, it's not gonna last forever. And when the Gentiles have all believed, God's doing something that we didn't see coming, okay? Until he revealed it to us and now we see it. We wouldn't have seen purpose in their unbelief. But now because of Romans 11, we are able to get a glimpse into it. And so, so far we've seen an unveiled mystery and we are seeing an exclusive savior. The only way to have Saving faith is in the finished and atoning work of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, I want you to see from this text that, that we see that we have an inclusive gospel to proclaim. An inclusive gospel to proclaim. Look with me at verse 28 and we'll work our way down to 32. It says, as regards the gospel... They are enemies for your sake. Now this is once again referring to unbelieving Jews. As regards the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But as regards election or God's choice of the people, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. We pointed to that text a few weeks ago. And, and what he's saying in here is that, that God has a work that he is doing with this people and with this nation as a whole, not talking about every individual person, but that involves his electing choice, that, that God chose the nation of Israel and the things that he promised to them, he's gonna come through with. As regards the gospel, they're enemies. They, they're not believing in Christ, but as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now church, I wanna tell you that this, just to step aside from the context of the Jews right now, I just want you to know 
that, that this statement is one of the most encouraging statements that we'll find in the Bible. When I think about my own life, when I think about the, my struggles that I personally have, when I think about uh, sins that have crept into my life, when I think of mistakes that I have made, I, I hear this and, and I see, I hear the Lord say, for the gifts and the calling of God on my life are irrevocable. What he said to us in Romans 8, it's irrevocable. He will not take it back. He doesn't give us a promise and snatch it back from us. That's not the God of the Bible. He doesn't have a gotcha moment at the end. He says in Romans 8 that Romans 8 that there's no more judgment for you. Like in Christ Jesus, there's no more condemnation. And at the end of Romans 8, there's no more separation for those in Christ Jesus. You can't be separated from the love of God in Christ. Romans 9 through 11, the whole time has been given us reason to have confidence that God won't snatch back what he says. And so here he's doing the same thing. He's saying for the gifts and the calling of God, they're irrevocable. So Christian, you may have things in your life. You may have things that are just, I mean, that if you told me about it, I might want to just pop you with my elbow. You might think there could be sins, choices, decisions, things, thoughts, uh, places in your head that, that you would think that if you could think that you must not be his, there could be all kinds of things that it could exist in your life, all kinds of doubts, all kinds of fears, all kinds of sin. I want you to know that God will not allow you to stay there in that and nothing that he's given you as far as the gifts and the calling, is he gonna snatch back from you? He's gonna, by the power of his spirit in the context of his church, draw you to walk in line with his spirit. That's what he'll do. Sin doesn't exist. It should not exist in the life of a Christian, but it does. And we need to understand his grace and walk in it and watch the gospel and the training that we receive when we stare at the grace of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, how that will be the very power that kills and slaughters sin that exists in our life on this Sunday morning. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Verse 30, for just as you were at one time disobedient, can we get an amen? Okay, yes. <laughs> I mean, really, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received, received mercy. And we have, if we're in Christ, we've received mercy as we believed on Christ. But he says, because of their disobedience, because of the disobedience of the Jews, he says, so they too, referring to the Jews, have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to us, to you, they also may now receive mercy. This is just a crazy little cycle that God created. And he's, Unveiling it to us. Summary statement, verse 32. For God has consigned, or, or I, like I, I was dealing, struggling with that word a little bit on how you would take it. God has, as it would be, shut us in, enclosed us, okay, to disobedience. For God has consigned all to disobedience. None of us escape disobedience. Are you with me? No one on the planet's escaped disobedience. Jews, Gentiles, boy, girl, it doesn't matter who you are. You haven't escaped disobedience. He's consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. If you even know what I mean when I say this, write it down, okay? Not 
This is not an individual universalism, but rather this is Paul teaching that God's mercy shows no partiality. God's mercy shows no partiality. God's mercy comes to both the Gentiles and to Israel. So back to what they were struggling with in the church. Man, if you're arrogant, don't you understand your own disobedience? And don't you see his mercy that was extended to you? His point is you're all on a level playing field. And me and you are too. We're all on the same ground. We're all on the same level. All of us have disobeyed. All all of us have walked in disobedience. According to the Bible, all of us are spiritually dead. And if we are alive, it is all because we have had mercy that came from God and we believed on Christ. That's it. According to the scriptures, mercy is full and total to all people through faith in Christ. F.F. Bruce uh, wrote in a commentary this statement referring to uh, that he may have mercy on all. He said, on all without distinction rather than all without exception. On all without distinction rather than all without exception. Church, we, we believe in a gospel that's not just for certain kinds of people. We believe in a gospel that is for all the world to hear. When I read this text, this text pushes me not to lock myself in a room, but to the ends of the earth. This text pushes me not to a place of arrogance, but a place of deep humility. I mean, how small do you feel when you read this text? I mean, some of you may have came to church today and you wanted something that was easy to put on your fridge, but we, I didn't give it to you today. This isn't easy, but this is true. And the God that we're talking about, he, he's not small enough to put in my pocket. <laughs> I can't box him in. And this text proves it. This should lead us in humility to the Great Commission. And specifically in regards to this, this should lead us to evangelism of the Jews. That we know God's not finished. We know God's not done. We know this is a, it's a partial hardening. We know. So we should proclaim. I mean, if, if we were able to believe and we were grafted in, how much more? How much more would the natural branches be grafted back in? This leads us to the doxology at the end of this beautiful text. And that we've seen an unveiled mystery. We've seen that we need to place our faith in an exclusive savior. We've seen that we have an inclusive gospel to proclaim to the ends of the earth. And then lastly, we should be led to worship a trustworthy and faithful God, a trustworthy God. Paul gets here and he, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I I imagine that Paul was just very intelligent. Okay. Based on what I have read and as we watch him, 
through, through the biblical text. I, I, I mean, I, I would imagine like if, if here I am in intelligence, I bet Paul's on up here, okay? Um, and all of you are like, absolutely. We, we totally agree with that. But what I, I see here in this text is someone who led by the spirit, who has clarity on what he's writing here, still is unable to do anything at the end except for say, but who can know? I mean, how can we grasp? How can we have this handed to us and do anything but just fall down? And I don't mean you have to actually imposter here, but fall down at least in our hearts as we read. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. There have been people, and I've done this, church, who I look at the world and I try to piece together how it's right. How, how, how can there be this many people who haven't heard or how can there be this group of people who were left without belief? How can I deal with it when I look at, uh, you know, when you look at the Jews and you look at even this plan, this plan that their disobedience leads to our obedience. Even when I read that, how complex that is to my brain and my heart. And, and here's what we can do. We should do what Paul does and just at the end of it say, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts, Isaiah 55. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who's been his counselor? I don't know about you guys, but listen to me. I do some counseling and I go to some counseling. Okay, like I don't know if that's you. I think everybody needs a counselor. I'm for real, hear me. Pastoral advice, I think it's a good thing. But let me tell you who don't. That was the worst English ever, sorry, Catherine, wherever she is. <laughs> Whoa, I got an English major for a wife, hold on a second. All right, let me tell you who doesn't, our God. Duncanville comes down in me when I get excited, okay? <laughs> for who has the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? You know what the answer is? Nobody, nobody. Or who has given a gift to him? Isn't that funny? And we, I, I believe that sometimes we think we give him gifts. <laughs> Look at what I did. Look at who I am. I mean, like it's a gift. No, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Does God owe anyone anything? But you know what he grants? You know what he gives? You know what he just unleashes? Mercy. Love, goodness. For from him and through him and to him are all things. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory, not in this moment, but forever. Now and forever. Amen. Church, doctrines that exalt God lead to deep joy. 
in church. You do not have to understand everything to praise the God who does. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would take it and you would.